Hello and welcome to the Genius Move Audio Academy podcast. My name is Paul Brewer. Today I speak with Michael Barkley, who manufactures the Barkley Mic brand of ribbon microphones. His website is barkleymic.com. For our chat, Michael brought two newly manufactured mics to record the podcast with. We set the mics up at either end of the console here at Genius Move, with the capsules pointing down the room, essentially pointing at the sides of our mouths. Then the figure of eight null point was pointing at each other, helping isolate each microphone recording. Ribbon microphones, by design, aren't particularly bright, but have the reputation of taking EQ well. I high-passed the low end and brightened the top end a little for our recording. I began by asking Michael, why build a ribbon mic? It's uh, because I'm a brass player. Uh, basically, I uh, recorded my own trumpet playing for quite a lot of time. I mean, obviously, I, I started recording when I was quite young, maybe you know, 14, 15, 16. So cheap condensers and cheap dynamics and never happy with the tone. So the condenser, especially the cheap ones, have a lot of like nasty high frequencies. And I have a lot of nasty high frequency in my sound on the trumpet. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I want to take that edge off. So um, I bought a ribbon and didn't know how to use it because it was so dark. Uh, the first one I tried. And that's going back 20 years. And that, I guess, was sort of always in my mind. I've always had a curiosity about recording from being real young with you making binaural heads and stuff with my dad. Um, right. So <laughs> your dad was an influence then. You know? Very much so. Yeah, he's an right. uh, electric uh, electronic engineer and Ah, uh, right. Uh, so everything I know is is direct responsive. Yeah, so the the ribbon was just when I heard how it sweetened the tone, I kind of realized that it's a nice match and then you fast forward a bit and ribbons got pretty popular again uh, yeah. over the last 20 years or so. That's and true. Certainly from when David Royer started bringing his stuff out was right. probably the inception of that being used on horns quite a lot. People like uh, Jerry Hay, who's a amazing arranger and trumpet player who did all the Michael Jackson stuff and so on. All right. Going back to that era and Sea Wind Horns before that, um, he was recording and I think started using the 121 is normal as a, a, a 54, a KM54 Neumann, small capsule tube condenser, but a, a quite a, a nice microphone on brass for that yeah. punchy thing. But definitely the, the 121 started to appear in, in the pop circuit. It just works great on horns. Like uh, ribbons just tend to really complement the frequency. So um, I didn't know any of that when I started building these, though. It was all right. Uh, not the, sorry, when I started getting into the ribbon yeah, side yeah, of yeah. things. Uh, I just know, like, when I played into it, it actually sounded like my instrument again and took off all the edge and yeah. in, a, in a good way. So. And, like, EQ can't do that? Well, you can, but I don't know. I've never been happier than when I've got something going in straight, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's been my thing. And also skill level of using EQ and how good you use your monitoring. Right. So you can you can do a lot. Absolutely, but yeah, no. These it's the aesthetic going in is or the the tonality going in is everything. But yeah, that that's kind of where it spawned, and I couldn't afford better mics, so um, I actually built a few tube condensers before building ribbons, and I really liked them. And then that little memory of my youth came back, where you know I loved recording on a ribbon, so 
I decided to start taking them apart and building them. And did you use, did you base these on anything in particular? Oh, we should should mention as well that we're actually using a pair. Oh, yeah, of, right enough. Uh, <laughs> fresh ones, only made yesterday. You made yesterday me. for the cool. show. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Not specifically, I've had a tonal concept in mind that I wanted. All right, and, okay. So I kind of iterated them. Um, I went back and forth on design stuff and transformers and tuning ribbon thickness corrugation you know magnets motor all that kind of stuff until it was sitting right and there's theory but between where your roll-off point is and and your frequency response and all that um but there's nothing like building it and right and testing and actually that's the so my uh, fiance's in Grouse Lodge studio right now, which is why I'm able to see you. Yes, indeed. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> and that's where I was, uh, me with uh, Alex Borwick, one of the engineers that works there. And he was kind enough to help uh, do the testing for me. So I'd post him a microphone down or I'd meet him and give him a microphone and he'd sent me back notes. Right. Um, which is totally invaluable, having an ear that tuned. Yeah, um, and, and somebody else as well detached completely yeah. from the product yeah yeah it does they have no relationship to how much work went into the, the thing yeah exactly <laughs> and i was like oh maybe maybe this is the one and alex writes back i want you to look at this <laughs> and tell me what you think and i'm like maybe that wasn't the one <laughs> right so how long did that process take uh it probably or, or is it finished well, I don't know if it ever finishes, basically. Yeah. Because I, I am working on the next revision of these, but I'm happy with these as they are. But You're happy all, now. Happy now, <laughs> but there's always things that can be improved. But um, yeah. the process probably, I, I'd probably spend about three years just building different ribbons of different shapes and sizes. And then I found one that was kind of working. So from that start point is when I started talking to Alex. I'd known him through the studio anyway um and then i asked you know can i waste your time please <laughs> yes indeed yeah yeah and uh like any great engineer they're just happy to absolutely experiment play with toys yeah um yeah so alex tried it i probably had four or five maybe six revisions went through there um across. this is all before there was you could buy one like yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and that was probably Probably six months of revisions and a, um, at least a year or two leading up to it on this model. Just And it's not full on. It, it's like a piecemeal working on it because at the time I had a, a strong teaching calendar and a strong gigging calendar. So worked when I could. But now I'm focusing a lot more on the microphone side of life. So Right. And is it a trumpet microphone? Or no, is it, everything. Is it, is it a ribbon? It's, a it's ribbon. just a good ribbon microphone. Right. So the things that make it a good trumpet microphone make it exactly a general one. Okay. And the, as you know, the transient response is a, a great thing on a ribbon. And that's when a good engineer hears it, they see the value of that. Because that translates to, well, they're great on overheads or, you know, front of kick mic, or like front of kit mic, rather. Um, double bass, anything where you need that transient to, to cut because the element's so light responds like nothing else what is the dimension of it or the thickness of it now this standard is 1.8 microns and i have a i call it the super infinity version that's a nod to my trumpet nerdery there's a trumpet i i play and it's the old super trumpet because they brought out a better one and i was like that's like really painfully simple <laughs> i like it 
So I do a, a thinner one with 1.2 micron uh, foil, and that's in my stereo microphone as standard. And then I go a bit thicker for a live version with 2.5 micron. Tell me about the pop filter arrangement, the basket, the head basket. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, the important thing is that it doesn't get a blast of air, isn't it? That's important. Probably more so from the user than the designer. It, it would be very hard to have a good uh, frequency response and mitigate all damage. So you have to accept there is an element of caution with any ribbon. Right. Some are quite rugged, but um, you do sacrifice things. For the live version, it will be more rugged and probably have a, a little bit a, a thicker pop shield or whatever. Yeah, so I, I have more layers internally, and then I sell a windscreen with it. That looks like the dead cat that you put on a you know, a blimp or whatever. I love cats. I'm not fond of that term. <laughs> but you know the one that yes, looks indeed, like an yeah. old man's hair. Um, <laughs> so I sell those with the, the live model and that just removes all problems. It, How does it affect the tone, do you think? Or? With that uh, windscreen, you're reducing your proximity, you're reducing your bass response a little bit. And you're rolling off the high frequency and you lose about three decibels of overall response response but they're they're hot enough anyway that that's still okay and there's a, a live models coming or sorry a, a, an active model coming out pretty soon so i'm thinking the live plus the active board makes perfect sense if i'm reducing the output a little already yes um and that'll be an option with all of them but uh i'm not a fan if you've great gear like you do you you go passive all the way because you want your preamps character you know the interplay with the transformer and the ribbon but for people running off focus rights and whatnot, maybe if they're recording like a soft voice on it, they might just want a bit more gain. So, yeah, I put a 17 decibel amplifier in it and all of a sudden the problems are gone. You may remember when we plugged the microphone in, I commented straight away that the yeah. uh, the level w w was quite high. And, you know, ribbons sort of have a reputation for being very low output, which yeah. they obviously are. But it, in this particular instance, it's not especially why is that do you think it's a a combination of quite strong magnets reasonably light foil a reasonably high ratio on the transformer the issue with the ratio is you can boost the signal on signal but you start to trade your frequency response and there, there's a sweet spot and i got very lucky working with uh oxford electrical products to design the um transformer in it so it's kind of in a sweet spot of it's hot. I couldn't possibly go hotter without compromising something. But right. Right now, it's it is to try and get the the most use out of it. For you know, I know I can sell it to someone with a a claret or a sapphire or something, and you know, acoustic guitar is still going to be okay. But like I said, if you go super soft, you still might want a fat head. People forget to plug it in at the right end of the cable, and then it sounds terrible. <laughs> really. Well, I've noticed it, yeah, <laughs> well, and I think it in the literature will say, but plug it into the mic and then run the cable to the, the head yeah, amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'd never thought of that. I'd never thought of that. Try it both ways and tell me if I'm imagining it, but I did it wrong deliberately to see, and I was sure I was convinced that the, the high frequency went. And yeah. Will you offer a, a preamp plug-in amplifier? At the moment, that's... Uh, that's probably going to come through Atomic Analog with uh, Vinny out in uh, Iceland. Iceland. Yeah, <laughs> he's the man. So Vinny and I have worked up a preamp for the microphone, and I know he's going to release that as an inline. 
and I'm going to have it inside my microphones. Whether or not I retail them for him, I'm not sure just yet. But so is, he's doing the one, the one you'll be putting internally. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much over the moon with what we come up with. Uh, he sent me four boards initially, nothing marked. Just here's boards. Try these and come back to me. So I did, and I was like, yeah, I uh, like this one. I hated this. This one sounded this way, and then this. And uh, he's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Vinny was trying different gain staging, and then we're trying different input coupling, which would change the frequency response of it. But where it stands, it sounds just like my microphone. Only louder. Only louder. And my problem with some of these inlines is they make the microphone brighter. That's okay, but... And why is that, do you think? It's the impedance matching, so... Oh, right, okay. The impedance, is that a more a critical thing in ribbons, or that whole sort of approach? Oh, yeah, it's almost like a tone control on the impedance side. If you have a ribbon plugged in on, a, on an Eve, and you switch between 300 ohms and 1200 ohms, do a little recording test, acoustic guitar or something, and listen to them side by side, you'll be quite amazed, I think, at the... The difference. Who makes the bodies and all that sort of thing? Is that somebody local or is it? Yeah, I do like half of it. I have, I do some, I get some machine work done for me and then I do the other half in my dad's workshop. Your dad's workshop. Oh, yeah. Features again. (laughs) So is he a metal worker as well? Everything. Oh, right. Um, Okay. A woodworker really, but literally anything. (laughs) That's sort of been a base for you to move from. In yeah. terms of like being able to knock up a body, I mean, I wouldn't have a clue how to knock up a body, but you know, the insides I might be able to. Oh, it's been great from from I was no age. I I started building guitars quite young, and I was able just to go out to a workshop and do it. Tools were ostensibly there. I made do with some simple things, but so it's the same with this. Although I did buy a lathe, and really, but you were destined to build microphones then. I think so. I mean, I, I just have to do things with my hands, I think. I learned the lathe work, uh, learning to cut mouthpieces for trumpets, because uh, oh, that's wow. actually what I thought I was going to do. <laughs> oh, okay, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I bought that and spent every waking hour learning how to cut things properly and turn things on it. And then, yeah, it, it, it's not an industry you can compete with. It's mass production now. Um, I know microphones are too, but there's less of a niche uh, available on a mouthpiece where... Yamaha make uh, God knows how many. Yeah. 10,000 a month, maybe. Who knows? But that's that's where I learned the lathe skill from. I mean, I, I did buy some proper lathe courses and DVDs and whatnot. So it was a little while ago when those still existed. Yeah, I studied every, everything I could on that, but it's all online. Tell me about matching pairs. Is that a thing these days? Mass-produced mics mm. and mics that are, are accurately made. Is it a necessity to match it? It is, basically. A good example of two sides of the coin would be uh, Line Audio, I'm sure you know. They make small diaphragm microphones. I forget where they're based. Anyway, they make these microphones that they claim are so close in tolerance that they're matched. And you can buy any number of them and they're matched. And I have five or six of them at home. And I do find them to be very close. So I think there's certain... Uh, types of capsule and, and electronics yeah. that are so tolerant, they're they're so tight on their tolerances yeah. that they aren't matched by by design. When it comes to ribbon mics and large diaphragm condensers, I think they need to be matched together 
probably in most cases. Um, I, I do something where I offer to build someone who owns a microphone, a matched microphone, without them having to send the microphone back if they live too far away, essentially. And it's kind of a shot in the dark where I have all of the measurements I made on file and frequency sweeps and so on. And I'll build something that's really close in tolerance to that. So I know it's going to be pretty much on the money and it's always compared off an exemplary file. So I feel like I can offer that, but I have to go through that process. I can't just build one and send it out without comparing. And I find that it's probably the same on the condenser world where um, they have to match their electrical output and, and everything. Um, Cause there's a tolerance in how tight the membrane is and even probably um, you know, the, the moisture content in the room when it was made, like, and when it was measured, what temperature everything was. Yeah. What time of the year it was. What time of the year. And yeah. So there's probably a lot to be said for buying match pairs when they're, they're the company sells as a match pair. There'd be a reason. Right. Uh, probably, yeah, with Line Audio, they, the ones that I've experienced are very, very tight. Right. Very tight. So. Do you have a master microphone that you compare it to? Or I do, yeah. Right, okay. That ensures that every sound is kind of related to it. Basically, I have it, its measurements and all the recordings made on it, and it's my microphone I use at home. I keep it out because I want to see how it responds over time uh, uh, right. as well. So I, I want to have one that I made early on. So as early as when I met up with you, that'll be still the microphone in my house. Because I really like the tone of it. Um, so it's, I don't know when that was, before COVID, five years maybe. Is it that long? Maybe four or five years. <laughs> I, honestly, I think it's I think it's five years, which is horrendous to think about. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. But yeah, that microphone's still sitting up and gets weekly, if not more often used than that. And it's as good as it was when I first built it. But that's something that I need to know as a, you know, some of the builds them, like what's the, the impact of them sitting in a room for years. Yeah. Um, so I don't tend to measure against it. I go for an aesthetic against it. Like, right. Just listen, but yeah, yeah. Um, I have the actual frequency sweeps and measurement files that I'll go against that I first made when I made it. Cause that's the data there. My measurement process is the same. So I did a funny one. Well, not funny because it took me ages. I did a matched quartet of microphones last week for a, an engineer in uh, in the Netherlands. And yeah, he just said, I'd like to be able to interchange these if possible. And if they get mixed up, I don't want to worry that one set was mixed with the other. Can you match all four? Um, yeah, that, that took time. <laughs> yeah. And um, um, what is the process? Uh, every piece of ribbon, when you cut it, it, it's so fine that, well, there's quite a number of things. You want the same width and the same tuning. When you're getting thin foil, you need to check that there hasn't been micropores introduced into your foil. So you got to check your foil. Uh, other, if there's, if there's porosity, um, the response is not good. Same for when you corrugate it, if you work harden it by pre like, uh, doing it too tight completely changes the frequency response. So that has to be the same, same pitch. <laughs> oh, it's kind of finicky. And the, the thinner the ribbon, the more likely it's, you're going to have a problem along the way. So uh, it's actually why I've got this nasty cut in my finger was I use surgical scalpels for cutting it. 
and uh, I was working a little too quickly when I was building these yesterday. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, incorporated part of my fingertip into one of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> That'll be a valuable sale then. A lot of tone in that. <laughs> yes, um, but that's because when you're cutting along the edge, can you need a, I personally think you need a perfectly clean cut edge to the point where I might look into doing it with lasers. Um, maybe that's overkill, but... Um, no, it's it, not. It would cut them really quickly <laughs> as well. True, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean. So, the ribbon is made from aluminium. Aluminium, correct? yeah, exactly. And built for microphone, is that what it's for? Is that what it's the aluminium used, for? I buy it from a, a supplier that it's sold for microphones, but it's used in gilding. I don't know what other things. It's used in some scientific processes because other retailers sell for scientific purposes so i don't know what that might be but um there's certainly use for it enough for it to exist outside of just microphones and is that the fact that it is used outside of microphones could it possibly like you, you mentioned porous is that one of the reasons it's porous because maybe you, the quality is less critical or yeah something exactly like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it could be where i've been buying from recently i've had very good luck with my samples been very very good but it's easy enough to check with a, a strong light. Oh, yeah. It's strange. You can see when it's so thin, you can see through it. Right. <laughs> or yeah. you shouldn't fully be able to. But And I don't know now, but can you use gold or something like that or silver? Um, or, or, there are or, other materials you can use, but your trade-off is the strength of the ribbon versus the weight of the ribbon. So aluminium's in an almost sweet spot of its tensile strength. Um, versus its electrical conductivity. Could you use beryllium? I think someone did, and <laughs> I think that wouldn't be a silly idea, but I'd say scarcity of materials is the issue. Yeah. Um, and it probably work hardens more when you corrugate. Um, oh, right, yeah. I think I, I may have heard of people using titanium before, but again, it, it's probably a... How do you store them? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the recommended way? Like, do you need to keep it vertical? Uh, you know, it's probably those? better to, but it, it, I don't think it's essential to. I've I haven't seen too much issue with the ribbon over a few years, but it's better to store them vertical for sure. And there's no real way to clean. Uh, yeah, that, is that true? Yeah it it would be better just serviced and potentially just rebuilt. Re, yeah. yeah. It's not probably going to be an issue. Um, uh, even in working studios, you don't tend to see dirty ribbon microphones. I think people know they're... Yeah, they're not going to be singing into the... Uh, yeah, they'd be The days of smoking in the studios perhaps gone. gone. <laughs> yes, yeah. And other things. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So I don't think they're... From a, um, a hygiene perspective or like a, you might worry about a capsule getting dusty or whatnot, I don't think that's particularly an issue and... There's screening in most ribbons anyway to keep the dust out. Yeah. We did talk about impedance, and I mean, it's esoteric, but an audio podcast sort of is. But I think mm. in, in, impedance is quite an interesting uh, topic for ribbon microphones because there's quite a, a difference in um, your sonic characteristic. Would that perhaps be more of an issue with ribbon mics rather than, you know, a 57 or... or oh, certainly. Right, okay. Be the most pronounced on a ribbon. Ah, right, okay. Um, a good way to test, you know, the ESA 1 preamp, the Focusrite, little yeah. suitcase thing. Um, brilliant preamps. They have a switchable impedance from 
it might be 150 or 300 ohms up to maybe five six k maybe six and a half k um listening to that and sweeping the or maybe doing examples in different settings will i'll tell you what you need to know but um the higher the short term of it is the higher the impedance the more responsive the microphone becomes yeah and gets a little brighter um interesting well, well is, is it the other way around as in on the other the other impedance it's actually dudder it's naturally brighter because it's 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 yeah. pulling more from the the, the microphone essentially isn't it? yeah it, it's it's kind of i i heard it equated once as like uh trying to tow a cart uh with a spring and your impedance is how stiff's the spring oh right so okay. it's a yes, very indeed. low impedance yeah, yeah trying yeah. to tow it it's a really loose spring and that transient response and that responsiveness is slow okay it's not a perfect analogy but I might use that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a short post about it that I think is closer to being accurate, but again, we're working on my brain right now. <laughs> uh, where was the post? On, I, I think I put it on Facebook somewhere. I, I, I'd responded to someone on a recording thing and oh, right. dug it out. I'll, I'll look for it. I can, I'll probably find that. But that idea of like the flexible coupling, I, I did some of my idea. Someone said that and I, I liked it. Right, yeah. Because it made intuitive sense. It, yeah. It's intangible until you can... Yeah, 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 exactly. You can uh, resolve it, but... I guess recording a, a band is the situation to be mm-hmm. making those decisions. Because if you were just listening to it, as in, if you were blowing your trumpet now, yeah. and I went, the, switched the impedance, and it went from yeah. slightly one, and you know, well, I don't know which was better. Exactly. Because yeah, you have no contact. It's not in the mix and so yeah. on. I think in that respect, when I do that, because I do remote recording sessions at home quite often, and I do have the option to change these things. I just look at the project, and do I want a punchier, poppier horn sound, or do I want a you know, warmer, yeah, more but traditional I mean, tone? That would be in relation to a mix. In relation to a mix, yeah, and you, yeah, you've yeah. got that information. Yes, indeed. Exactly, so yeah. if, if you weren't... But yeah, it's, it's a, I guess it's just a, a nicer way to shape things. Again, yeah. from the beginning as well. Exactly. And that it goes back to the start of get it right going in kind of thing. Mike in a good position and, uh, you know, something appropriate for the job you're doing. Uh, I did have an interesting experience with um, the Atomic Analog uh, Special Op 6. So Vinny... Is that his wooden box front it thing? Is. Yes, indeed. That <laughs> is a... It's a work of art and it's a remake or... Vinny's version of the RCA Special Op 6 from the 30s, which was a, a valve preamp, four ribbon microphones with 84 decibels of tube gain, which is astonishing. Um, and I know that Vinny worked unbelievably meticulously on it to to get it to work. And at those higher gain settings, it's electrically quite a thing to to tame. The, it wants to go into oscillation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has it perfect. Um, so that preamplifier, I got, I persuaded him to build me a mono one. So I have the first mono one because I, I don't need a pair. Oh, right. Okay. Could just for, I was just doing trumpet sessions. Do you ever, you, you never record trump, uh, stereo trumpet then now? I do, but I, I go through a 1073 as my second channel. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and if I'm doing a, a space pair for trumpet, I'll go into something clean because right. it's more likely to be a classical thing. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so go straight into an RME or something and for that kind of clinical thing. But yeah, most of the stuff I do is like indie, singer-songwriter, pop sort of thing. And that's all. I have two mic positions, off-axis, non-axis. 
uh, two different preamps, and then it's a bit of color that you can change or blend them both. But the interesting thing in his op six that he built me, we were talking about how I wanted it specified because he can tweak his designs. And I said, I'd love a, an impedance switch on it naturally around 600 ohms. And I said, I'd love something higher than that. Cause I like that option. And, uh, Sorry, Vinny, but I only use it on the original. <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds beautiful on both, but uh, it doesn't sound as dramatically different. Uh, is that is that your switch and coil in, in a transformer, or how? how I don't know how I did it. Right, okay. I have no idea, but with the the tube preamp, the impedance is very dynamic. So, based on what gain setting you've got, um, the impedance will go up. So if you're running 60 decibels versus 30 decibels, there'll be higher impedance at the higher gain setting. Right. So uh, I think where I'm setting it, it's sort of in the middle of sound-wise anyway, the settings, but you can definitely hear the, the 2K setting is, is punchier and brighter. But yeah, the original, it seems like, you know, RCA and now Vinny <laughs> got it in the first go. <laughs> I didn't need my input. <laughs> the RCA spec of the, you know, the, the spec that they gave and suggested usage and all those things, which was the the original uh, preamps were kind of made that way, weren't they? Yeah. They were like, our desks were originally made. Like, there's a sheet of information, we'll use that and get on with it. That's a very good question. That is a very, very intricate design. Um, maybe it started that way, but I think it was the the ribbons that day had very, very low output. Right. Ceramic magnets and so on. And so, so the magnets are really the, the engine. Uh, yeah, in. exactly. So you can, if you can get a stronger field in, you can get more signal out. Right. And just while we're on the subject of magnets, magnets, what are they made from? Minor neodymium magnets. In uh, RCA's day, that would have been ceramic, like a traditional ceramic magnet. So the horseshoe-looking thing. Yeah. That you saw in classrooms, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, yeah. It may even have been, I'm not sure about this, but you know, magnetized metal of some sort. Yeah, I need to look into that a little more, but I know certainly ceramic magnets would have been uh, common. Is, is that why the, the early ribbons were huge yokes yeah. as well? Okay. The big armatures and a lot of weight from a lot of magnet. Yeah. But actually, it's something <laughs> that I'm building at the moment is I don't do replica things. I'm more interested in pushing a concept and my concept is a try and build it the old way for this next one so but uh, i have a couple of massive horseshoe magnets and, and a big armature um i don't know what the metal work's going to look like but <laughs> yeah it's uh, definitely leaning in that 77 direction so it'll be a heavy yoke <laughs> right and is that a commercial unit or or will it be a commercial it unit? will be yeah all right um, okay maybe in a year Okay. Uh, it's at the start of its R&D at the moment. Right. But I'm about to commit and send sample, or my CAD files to CNC company and get my armature made. And this it's the most fun part for me, you know. I love making them. I love love using them more than anything. But um, when I get the design ground up, it's like just playing, you know. <laughs> so it's not necessarily work. It works when you screw something up and they have to figure it all out. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, why can't I make this sound the way I want? And then the work comes in. But the initial part, that's just playtime. It's just having fun. So you've mentioned Vinny's Atomic Analog. Is that that's it? right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an expensive preamp? It's on par with anything of its type. 
I don't actually know what his price is right now, but the, the stereo unit, it might be 2,800 euro, All right, or okay. it might be that in American dollars. Which means it's a good bit lower in terms of euros. Um, yeah, that's not a, you know. That's it's not, not atrocious. No, it's on par for the amount of preamp you get. It's perfectly priced or yeah, damn near cheap. Because yeah, compared to Fairchild rebuilds of, yeah. of the you know which exactly. are exactly mega 40, mega money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the quality of components in he's he's got a tremendous investment in just the componentry. Um. Yeah, and you get a hand-drawn schematic with it, wow. which is beautiful. A spare, spare tube, hand-drawn schematic, and yeah, the thing's just a work of art. Yeah. It sounds just perfect. What do you feel about, you know, condensers? They're used for uh, recording acoustics, they're used mm-hmm. for overheads and all. W- what's the balance? I just love microphones, actually, is is my approach to everything. is For an inexplicable reason, I've always liked them as an object. Um, I think it's the idea of being able to capture sound. So the the devices that I love and everything beyond that is just let's try and sound the way we want it to and sound nice. Personally, I like characterful sounds, so I'd rather a microphone be quite dark or quite bright or or rich or whatever, but I'm not massively into the super clean aesthetic. A lot of classical recording is... Um, it's based on that, that approach. Entirely based yeah, on yeah. that. It's it's not, that's just from a, a personal kind of appreciation of music for me is, I have nothing against that from a design perspective. So I will have a goal of making something like that, but because my favorite records are, you know, like the bebop records that kind of sounded maybe a bit rough from an engineering perspective, but. One microphone. One microphone <laughs> in a room, bunch of people playing great. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. Um. Rudy Van Gelder's my hero when it comes. The legend. The legend who pioneered modern recording, pioneered the idea of even putting microphones on instruments. Really? I think so. Uh, certainly at the start. What era was he? He would have been doing, I'm sure, 50s, 60s, probably. All oh, right, okay. So just um, just kind of after the, the initial, the Abbey Road was 31 sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And the Neumann um, thing and all yeah. that. Right. His studio, yeah, in Hackensack, New Jersey, was part dent uh, optician. One of his parents was an optician, maybe, and has the photos of it. And they talk about, oh, we're going into his kind of like a living room is the live room. You see the pictures and it's ginormous. You know, it's a beautiful wooden live room. Yeah, I think it, maybe it's more in the, the jazz side of things where a lot of the recordings, it was a mic in a room. He started to think, how do we get that person's sound on the recording the way they sound to me in the room? So yeah, there's great pictures of him and Miles and Coltrane and whatnot, positioning microphones and listening and you know pioneering even you know a monitoring setup that was adequate to even know what he was doing was making sense. So very interesting character and yeah, that that's one of my inspirations for things. Is I love it to sound how you, you think it sounds or you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, yeah emotionally in that regard but yeah the condensers and built a few tube condensers and i'm working on one at the moment that i'm hoping to bring out maybe in a year i, I have four or five on the go at the moment really yeah i have and a whole conceptually different and totally yeah right so i have two new ribbons on the board one of them i do have a finished motor for um 
I need to start testing. And then obviously the, the big magnet. Um, I'm working on an Omni condenser mic, which is probably the next one that's going to come out. Relatively flat condenser. An Omni on a, like a, again, inspired by the horns. An Omni in a room with a set of horns. It sounds good. The room's good. But I love large ensemble recording and you put five Omnis up and in a DECA configuration and you've got a beautiful sound. Right. That was kind of my next question. How do you go about your trumpet mightn't shine in this room? Yeah, I, I could I could definitely make it work in here. Right. Um, I can hear early reflections of this wall and yeah. but you've got gobos, so Yeah, yeah, but that's <laughs> we, we can make it work. And the side null of a, the ribbon's great. I, I've recorded in reasonably oh, live right, rooms. Yeah but got away with it on a ribbon. And that used to be a thing for me where um, that was off-putting, the figure eight thing in a bad room. I used to record yeah. in my bedroom and it was like, oh, it sounds like my bedroom. <laughs> and instead of treating the room, I got a different microphone. It's okay. like, so you, you learn the wrong, or you learn uh, hard lessons in this game. <laughs> YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> but when people are talking to me, oh, what? what should i do this preamp or this preamp and my first question is have you treated your room yet yeah and uh that and buy good stands and good leads you know the preamps the shiny thing that everyone is like oh we'll get this or this plug yeah or this. transformers blah 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 exactly and meanwhile you know the room isn't being looked at at all it's it's boring but it's the most important thing if Especially from mixing and recording yeah but in here if i do a track trumpet we'll get a good sound take a minute they tend to just go around and play and listen um the particular spots yeah there'll be spots in the room that speak better and have a better balance and what about the key in terms of if you found a spot in the room yep. at one particular key would you find that it doesn't quite work in another key and stuff that's like that's actually that, a or? really good question um on the trumpet less so because our our pitch is high so all right our okay. fundamental wouldn't go below 120, 140, maybe. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of harmonics and as well. Everything in the trumpet is, you know, say second through 12th harmonic is, and strongly at the maybe seventh harmonic or so is where a lot of our tone is. So, yeah, that's in the, you know, the one kilohertz, the three kilohertz region for us, um, maybe a little lower. And uh, so that's not a big issue. But if you're recording tenor saxophone, yeah, um, my fiance is a tremendous saxophone player and um she's very fussy about what where she's playing in the room how she's playing on the mic and if you're playing down low you can just be everything's very very sweet and you get to the bottom register and all of a sudden you get a boom or you get yeah a honk or which is a drum uh, just a room mode a room mode exactly yeah. and that's so does that suggest well i probably know the answer to this a bigger <laughs> room bigger rooms with, are a great with, solution to our problems yeah. Um, yeah. big rooms or dead rooms and that's the compromise or big dead rooms another thing yeah they cost a lot though they do <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's the compromise we make I think everyone's making that now we're okay we're recording a spare room in the house or something let's just try and kill it as much as possible yeah um, and it's very hard from a performing perspective where you rely on the acoustic feedback to how you blow exactly and yeah uh, and and singing as well so even monitoring in your headphones it's really hard to get it where it feels that you're not overdoing something um so i know 
when Melanie's recording vocals, she sings beautifully as well and does a lot of recording on that. She'll spend you know, an hour or two getting the, the monitoring chain sounding in a way where I can sing without hurting my voice or yeah yeah because yeah. i'm going to sing for a few hours now and I, I want it to sound sweet the whole time yeah and then moving in the room find find where that is and that it's the same thing for trumpet except maybe i don't have the patience to do it for a few hours or yeah i should i think if you do it once you probably like that's a one case she has a, now a chain that you can just recall um and now you have a monitoring chain that sounds good and i should do the same thing for me but typically um well, I can make it work. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah, but uh, yeah, absolutely. You can you can tear yourself out, and probably the same as a drummer playing in a dead room who plays way too loud. Then right, um, and they only know because their ears are ringing at the end. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sort of feel that. Well, I sort of know <laughs> when it comes down to it that the rooms, the room you're in, is spectacularly important. Oh, it's everything. Uh, yeah. As equally as important as the microphone, the preamp, the the gear in general. Yeah. It's as important. And I also feel that that's not a particularly uh, well-known idea. Yeah. Uh, It's uh, not not well-known enough that people buy egg crate foam and that's their problem solved. And if you've listened to Ian Shepard's podcast, which you put me on to, you realize that that doesn't work. Yes. You know, what, 10 kilohertz and up or something. That solid treats. Um, yeah. You've got all these bass modes and problems in Absolutely. the room still. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I'm talking about acoustics, it's everything up to 200 hertz and then to 200 hertz onwards. Yep. And that's the two things which are entirely different. Yeah. And need to be treated different. Yep. Need to be taught about differently. Anyway. No, but that's fascinating to me. I, I've read, I don't, no, like you do, but I've read uh, a couple of books on that stuff. And I, for our computer room, have the uh, membrane style uh, bass traps, slightly shallower ones. It was a nice pay. Yeah, I would think they're 90 hertz or something. But when I brought those in, again, room sounds the same, but all of a sudden yeah. things start to tidy up massively. And that's beautiful because they're not huge. They're ideal for small spaces. Yeah, I I don't know. I think you can probably make them yourself. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I I got a, a local guy to just make up. Yeah, and I have a couple of bigger ones. They're originally built for another room, but like in here, it it, it all quietens things down a little bit. It can so, things. Yeah, I've made uh, enough of the like broadband panels where you know that's a simple construction that anybody should do. Yes, like it doesn't and that's matter. Two hundred hertz up. Exactly. Uh, and that, again, matters massively for an instrument that lives there, like the trumpet. So, you know, that that's the first port of call, really. But, you know, trading room for monitoring and bass, absolutely. But, you know, there's people who say, I can't make them. Everybody, I think, could. Uh, yeah, it's true. They're, they're quite simple. They look don't at, need to look perfect. Look at that. Look, yeah. That one's, you know, it's just. And on hinges the way it should be. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, just for, just because it'll stand up in its own. Completely of, practical. Yeah. Simple things. And, you know, if you, you know someone that knows someone who can make them for you as well. So the cost doesn't need to be exorbitant. Yeah, that's, that's something I end up talking to people about uh, every week or two. Just, oh, do you think this preamp or this preamp's the best? <laughs> Watch your room. So that's how Michael Barclay does it. 
Many thanks to him for taking time out of his busy day to have a chat. Do visit GeniusMove.ie to find out about recording courses to suit you. Thanks for listening. Thank you.